Welcome back to the Attention Podcast, where you learn how to gain and retain the attention of your buyers to grow an audience. I'm Dan Sanchez with Sweetfish, and today I talked to Justin Schmidt, who is the VP of Marketing at Capacity. In this episode, we talk about the emerging trend of B2B companies actually becoming media companies. I pitched him on the idea of having two separate websites, and he shared some fantastic nuggets about how to convert more traffic. So... So let's get into it. Let's get into it. Justin, welcome to the show. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. So I have to start with this question. What does it mean for companies to act more like publishing companies today? It's a good question. So when you think about a publisher, and this could be anywhere from New York Times to, you know, a, a mommy blog, right, with 500 readers a month, it's sort of the same idea. You are competing for attention, your conversion is amount of attention. And more often than not, you're monetizing with ads or, you know, maybe you have an athletic type subscription model or maybe you got affiliate revenue. In, it, in any event, you're, you're monetizing with a very short conversion cycle or in some cases, like your conversion happens at the speed of however long it takes the ad to render from wherever Google server is to the page of the person that's viewing your content. So under the auspice of attention and monetizing attention, you need to construct your audience development, your content, your content operations, and therefore the scale and pace of your content needs to be built around capturing attention and only focusing on attention as opposed to what we in the B2B space have to sort of navigate, which is, you know, capturing top funnel attention and moving that into mid funnel consideration and then moving mid funnel consideration down into the actual purchase decision or filling out the form and going through the sales cycle, which then has its own funnel that has to go through, right? So you just view content a little differently. The other thing I think that comes into play when acting like a publisher is publishing has the gift, I will call it, of being able to explore topics and angles and um, do it in a way where you can use voice that might not necessarily always land on brand for a direct brand or, or software company. And that gives a lot of freedom. And I think you sort of put yourself in a much more creative space. So combine it with let's optimize for attention and consumption and you know, worry about pulling that through the funnel later versus the other end of this, which is you tend to have more bandwidth and more green space with how you're going to represent your point of view, what topics you're going to cover, how you're going to write, what mediums you're going to use, et cetera, when you're sort of operating in the attention economy versus the conversion economy, so to speak. So there's two things that come to mind after you said that. One is, it seems like if like before, the way most people do it, people are essentially trying to get too much out of one piece of content. Yeah, You put out a blog post and you hope that thing's not only going to get their attention, it's going to nurture the relationship, get them to take a pre, uh, like a sales conversion step and maybe even shoot them down the sales funnel. It's essentially expecting too much for a piece of content, right? What you're saying is, hey, like, just let the content get their attention. You can do the other stuff later. Sometimes all you need to do is answer a question, right? Like, yeah. Sometimes all you need to do is provide a little bit of insight. And if you're savvy and you've got your product market fit dialed in, 
you've got your all your sales process and funnel optimization after the form fill dialed in, you can take the approach of spending a lot of effort on top funnel and then building retargeting audiences and lookalikes and, and all the sort of advanced demand gen stuff to then pull in and, and capture that demand, you know, create demand versus capture demand. And you can kind of operate that way, but, but you're right that there is a bit of a tendency in B2B and listen, we, we're guilty of this too. It's just, you're sort of like, 100%. the incentives are aligned to do this where you just try to make everything be lead capture all the time. And then you rely purely on sort of post lead capture nurture to, to create the relationship. The other thing I wanted to mention was, would you recommend companies separating out like a separate brand for media? Oh man, this is such a good question. This is such a good question. And it's one that is becoming increasingly common, right? So HubSpot buys The Hustle, uh, Hrefs just bought Backlinko. You see a lot of brands, big ones, picking up these small sort of niche publishers. PubSpot's another great example with their podcast network, right? The MarTech podcast with uh, Ben Shapiro. Not the hustle. Not that Ben Shapiro, different Ben Shapiro. Great podcast. Absolutely love it. He's part of the HubSpot podcast network right now. And it makes a ton of sense for HubSpot to own that audience. Like it's a, it's a no-brainer partnership. But yes, I think the answer is, should you dedicate resources to thinking like a publisher and building media brand? Absolutely. Should that be a different brand than your sort of main software brand, so to speak, if we're, if we're leaving this in a B2B perspective? I don't know the answer to that. It seems that more often than not, that's the case. You see this with communities, right? I'll give you a great example. There's a revenue operations, change management, sort of intelligence application out there called Sonar. Great product. They also have a community, Wizard of Ops, for sales ops and marketing ops people that's very, very, very active, very, very, very rich. Those are clearly two different brands, right? So whether or not you do it in the same brand and you want to try to build like the branded house versus the house of brands, I think that's going to depend on your audience. That's going to depend on the nature of your sales cycle. That's going to depend on um, the market you're in. So it's a, it's a hard an- question for me to answer sort of with a direct yeah, yes yeah. or no, because I'm seeing it both ways. Well, let me throw an idea I've had out to you and see see how you react to it. Let's do it. Something I've been thinking a lot about, because obviously I think most marketers are facing this, the audience thing. That's why I'm even starting the podcast, because it was like, clearly this is becoming a thing, right? Yeah. People are paying lots of money to acquire audiences now. And then part of me is like, as a guy who does, I do audience growth consulting for many podcast owners in Sweetfish. I'm like, why not just build bigger audiences rather than acquire them? Why, why don't more people just build them in-house and build them in a way as if they're building a separate media company and then they just advertise their own stuff in it rather than paying through the nose to get on somebody else's network, right? But I think people are just afraid to separate it out. But I think it needs to be separate purely from a positioning standpoint. Mm-hmm. Your company has to be positioned a certain way in order to help people connect with what the product is, right? Correct. But the media should probably be broader to be the source of inspiration for your audience, right? Which is going to be broader than the positioning for your company. It should have a niche positioning unless you're creating a new category. And even that's going to be a future niche positioning compared to all the things your buyers want to hear about, right? Mm -hmm. But you Mm -hmm. could talk to all the things your buyers want to hear about. You could interview the panels of all the experts in that, that thing, 
So why wouldn't you build a separate brand, position it more broad? That way your product can still have a, your product and company can be positioned and the website can be optimized for conversions. Meanwhile, your media company can be optimized for audience growth and subscription. Yeah, if you're capitalized in such a way where you can make that investment, knowing that the time horizon on the return is going to be longer, then yes, it probably is the better the better play to make to build it as a separate brand. I think a, re- a lot of the reason you're seeing these acquisitions is look like HubSpot's got a few money that they can go out and deploy on you know whatever they want, right? So they do. It's interesting when you think about audience though, because this is something I dealt with a lot in my prior life as um, I ran marketing and publishing for a very, very large conglomerate of web properties that didn't have the strongest brand, but but from a traffic generation and audience development perspective, we were top 1%. And the concept here is like the rent versus buy and sort of trying to, for lack of a better word, wash one audience into yours, uh, convert that audience into yours, launder that audience into yours, if you will. And I think there is a good opportunity in the B2B space anyway, to start leveraging some of these communities and audiences. I mean, this is why niche, this is niche publishing, right? Like this, the trade publications have existed forever. There's a difference now in that I think as people switch to more like community management and more sort of multi-channel engagement and sort of like the bi-directional communication that a publishing brand has with their audience at this point, I think the the script has slightly changed, but the end goal with trade publications has sort of always been to build a niche audience and then advertisers sort of rent access to that audience, right? The difference is for the longest time, for the absolute longest time, the trade publications advertising base wasn't also trying to build an audience, right? They were just trying to generate revenue. Well, that has shifted a little bit. And it's going to be really interesting just as a someone who likes this space to watch how that's going to evolve over time, you know? So just kind of reacting to what you said and thinking about it, I'd I'm in most mostly in agreement with you that it probably should be a separate brand, but I think there's going to be a real effort on marketing content teams, you know, PR community, whoever it is in the in the business that that's going to be responsible for this thing, to make sure everyone understands this is a long term investment. Like if we build a great community, we can't just shove our product down that community's throat every chance we get. Like we're going to really have to be a very important part of that community and letting that community grow and flourish. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And audience building is sort of the, it's effectively community building. So I think it's good to conflate the two. And a separate brand does make a lot of sense if you can do it. I think a lot more companies are going to be doing it. I think they're going to have to only because the competition from the new companies that haven't even started yet, who literally started with an audience. Yeah, First, they built the audience and took one, two years to do, even a small audience. Mm-hmm. Shoot, a B2B brand can monetize an audience like 10 times better than like, like the New York Times can monetize its audience. That's exactly right. I was amazed when I looked at like the revenue audience or the revenue for the New York Times. I'm like, that's it? Gosh. I mean, it's, it's a big company, but it's not like that well, big. <laughs> it's interesting you say this. WebMD, not that big. Walgreens, like a WebMD's full operating budget is like a tiny percentage of Walgreens' total marketing budget. Exactly. And think about just the multiples of these things, right? So New York Times is the bell of the ball when it comes to subscription revenue-based publishing businesses. And they trade at what? 
two and a half, three times revenue. BuzzFeed, which is arguably the best audience generation tool, you know, Jonah Peretti gets a ton of credit for how much he understands media in, in the modern world. But that's the the godfather of the sort of modern media company. And they trade at what, like a little over one times revenue? You know what I mean? Like it's compare that with the multiples that, you know, SaaS companies get. And it's 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 just not the same ballpark. But you bring up a great point in that if the whole marketing cycle is creating demand and capturing demand, and you get good at creating demand, and you get good at developing an audience, it does beg the question if, uh, I don't know, like a, I think if like in marketing, there's like demand curve in the customer support space, you've got support driven. It is an interesting question if one day those guys don't think like, well, either, you know, I'm sure they're getting some biz corp dev people reaching out to them about, you know, acquiring their businesses. But it does beg a question too, if like they should start looking into some of their own sort of product expansion and see if they could leverage that into into a into a SaaS company. It's a really interesting thing you bring up there, Dan. Like, are we going to see the audience vehicle launch its own sort of SaaS product? It seems like it's inevitable that it's going to happen with one of these guys, right? I think you see some of like the bigger YouTubers starting to experiment with this stuff now. Hence, Mr. Beast is launching his own restaurant, Beast Burger. Mm-hmm. It's making lots of money. Of course, he's deployed it a very different way rather than brick and mortar. It's the other way around. But I know another, there's like, I just moved to Nashville and there's like a mom blogger in the area called the Trim Healthy Mama or something like that. And I was amazed. My friend works there and he's, I was like, oh yeah. So like how much revenue does it do? I was thinking like a few million, you know, cause it's got a million audience. It's a million uh, audience of like a million or two. He's like, no, 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 it's 200K. I'm like, in revenue? <laughs> I was like, the mom blog? He's like, yeah, we have like 200 employees. I'm like, oh, hello. <laughs> yeah. Like the audience has more weight and leverage than I think people realize. And I think right now people are getting the hustle on the morning brew for a steal. I still think Joe Rogan was probably a steal for Spotify considering they've overtaken Apple now in the most used podcast app because of stuff like that. I don't know. We'll just see. I mean, I started the whole podcast on the premise that this is going to be a bigger thing, but we'll see how it actually plays out. People thought digital magazines were going to be a thing like six years ago too. (laughs) I don't know if you remember some of those things. You know, what's funny about the digital magazine things. I always think about this as a, I I used to use this example a lot when I talked in the publishing circles I used to run in. Pinterest started as a aggregator and like basically a digitizer of catalogs. Like their whole original business was to scan catalogs and make them digitally available and, and browse. Kind of like issue. Yeah, exactly. And that sort of turned into the concept of Pinterest. And now Pinterest is sort of turned into more or less what they originally envisioned building. Just instead of like sucking in catalogs, that it's just users are creating and advertisers are creating the merchandising of, of these things. There is a really strong desire in all publishing and media companies to diversify away from ad revenue because... You know, it's all Google and Facebook. The CPMs are not great. And you have to go out and get direct deals. And maybe you have to go out and get programmatic direct. Or maybe you go out and try to build affiliate revenue. Well, affiliate revenue, if you're going to do Amazon Associates, you know, you get paid a pittance for all the traffic you send over. So then you look into these like super affiliate type things. And um, Red Ventures is a great example of a publishing-driven company that does a lot. I mean, you you go look it up. They're very good business. 
but they're dealing with much higher average order value type things that they, that they, you know, typically run through and like, go figure when you talk about high average order value, like B2B SaaS companies have the ultimate luxury in, in that regard. So the same principles that, you know, a product aggregator can leverage into Amazon Associates affiliate revenue is only a hop or two away from, I don't know, caring.com to use a Red Ventures uh, property into, you know, selling leads to nursing homes and memory care facilities. Obviously, that's a much higher order value than whatever the average Amazon card is. And then the step from the caring.com to HubSpot, again, like, it's only from a content and sort of audience development play. It's only a few steps different, but you're talking like massively different order values or average order values there still, right? So you're right to start this podcast now. And we as marketers are absolutely incentivized to get our shit together on this as fast as we can. And I agree with your optimism and worldview that this is going to be a major part of the marketing mix going forward. We'll see. You can only hope, right? Hindsight will always be twenty twenty to see how this played out. I usually find that it's like yes and and a little bit of a mix of right. how the predictions go. Because I, you ever look at the predictions from like ten years ago and you're like, video is going to be the biggest thing ever, and I'm like, that's exactly what they said last year. <laughs> it's like predictions are so funny. So when it comes to audience growth, what do you guys? What do you currently have in the mix to grow an audience? What do you have going on? Yeah, good question. Good question. So. We do a couple things. One, we have, let's go from just our we're very typical B2B company here. It's capacity. We, we're a, a sales-led organization. You know, we don't, we don't, as of yet, have a lot of like deep penetration into product-led growth models. Like we are a, where it's a sales-led growth model. We sell to mid-market and, and sort of up to enterprise customers. So that comes with it the average contract value you would expect in that, that comes with it. The, you know, you fill out the form, you need to talk to an SDR to get qualified and, you know, we really understand if, if what is going on here with the prospect and, and then send them to an account executive. And then we, you know, we work through the pricing. So under the auspice of a fairly, fairly standard sales driven model, the way we've looked at audience development is really, is, is I'd say, let's break it up into three parts. The first part is, we have done a good job of partnering with the trade publications and influencers in our ICPs. And we work with them both through a sponsored, you know, advertising and sponsored content perspective, but also with our PR and media company to try to, you know, get as much earned media out, as, out of those channels as we possibly can. And then we just, you know, try to be in the conversation as much as humanly possible. The second thing we've done is, and this is a subject near and dear to your heart, I host a podcast that we put out twice a month talking to our ICP. Obviously, that generates a lot of, you know, not just personal relationships for for me, but like ultimately, you know, with capacity and with the audience we're trying to, trying to create. I absolutely love having those conversations because most of the time I'm not interviewing customers. Very rarely am I ever interviewing customers. In a lot of cases too, I'll even interview you know, competitors and, and related software products and all sorts of people in and around the space. And it just gives such good feedback to send over to our product team or sales teams or whatever. Plus, I just absolutely love hearing Blue Flame thinkers talk, right? And then the third way we do this is really investing in capturing the top funnel sort of search traffic on the sort of day-to-day issues that our ICP is, is facing. Because I just want to 
try to be as top of mind as much as we possibly can. And then hopefully through retargeting and understanding what content hits, what doesn't, you know, where we're seeing rankings climb, where we're seeing a drop, we can sort of begin to funnel that more into mid and down funnel content. A lot of mid and down funnel content in B2B companies is all the same, really. So it's it's really just a matter of like, how do you get people there and then how do you push them forward? But those are our three big buckets. One of the things you said in the pre-interview is that it's not enough to generate traffic. Mm-hmm. You have to do something with the traffic coming into your website. And I've certainly spun up some websites, some SEO, social, and delivered lots of traffic and then had that traffic turn into no revenue. What kind of systems do you put in place to make sure that traffic actually goes somewhere? Yeah, this is the the ultimate question, right? And we at Capacity, we're still learning on a lot of this, right? We have a very technical ICP in support leaders, automation, in the mortgage industry where we have a lot of customers, like you're, you're dealing with mortgage production, um, you're dealing with underwriting desks and servicing desks. It's a very technical audience. So I say all that to say that what we have done and we've done a good job of it and I have a, a, a second challenge now on, on, on figuring out how exactly I'm going to pull some of this in. So we did a really good job of capturing the sort of number one like informational query type in the world, and that is questions. So we have a lot of Q&A on our website. So, you know, quick aside, the, the founder of Capacity, myself and a few other people here were all, you know, Answers.com was our, was our last endeavor. We learned the power of, of Q&A in, in that regard. So we spun up a lot of Q&A on the website. We get a lot of traffic on those. But there is a conundrum that happens with Q&A. And, I, and this, it's interesting when you think about this, right? So the best answer to the question, how tall is Michael Jordan? is six foot six, right? Like you don't need 750 words of content to answer the question, how tall is Michael Jordan? Much like, you know, what does NLP mean, right? NLP stands for natural language processing. And you know, I could get some meat out of that content, but if I get into 2000 words on that, like I'm starting to bloviate, right? The challenge is what calls to action do you put on those Q&A pages? What sort of pixels... And, and when you look at the pixels and the, and the audience pixels and stuff that you're firing, when you go back into LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever, what targeting criteria you do put in place to then from the calls action on the landing page to then get somebody into something slightly more in-depth, whether it's, you know, further reading or maybe it's a call to action to watch a video or something like that. How do you create some sort of intent and pull after the five seconds it takes to, to sort of quickly read an answer, right? So to get back to the Michael Jordan example, like this, this is why so many people get so frustrated with, <laughs> with, with recipe sites now, right? Like you search cast iron drumstick recipe or whatever, and you read, you know, 2,000 words on, you know, so-and-so growing up in Mississippi and the history of corn flour and like why peanut oil. And like, you find, you're just like, just get me to the fucking recipe. You know what I mean? I had to explain to my wife why there's so much crap on a recipe page. She's like, all I want is the recipe. I'm like, babe, they just put that there for SEO. Exactly. Right. (laughs) Exactly. And, and you know, it, (laughs) you could just sort of do that, I guess, if you wanted to on your B2B page, but 
ultimately what Google's going to do in some instances, they're not even going to like, you know, the librarian is no longer just directing you to the book. They're just sort of showing you the passage from the book that, that, that you wanted and, and they sort of send you on their way. Like, they're pulling massive snippets. Now. Yeah, the, the snippets and everything, right? So it's a challenge to capture further intent. But my, my thesis is that if I can be there when my ICP needs me, whenever they ask a question, after the first, second, third, fourth time they hit the website on something related, they're going to they're gonna start to make the association between our brand and the area that they're working in. And then they're going to be more receptive to any retargeting. Maybe they're going to find their way to a deeper, deeper page through the related reading suggestions or the call to action or whatever it is. And we're ultimately going to be able to pull those people through the funnel. But it is a challenge. I find when I make those pages, I'm trying to think about what's the next most likely question they're going to have and how can I answer for them, yeah. answer that for them on the page too, right? Because mm-hmm. if they're asking, what's the recipe for this? I don't know. Recipes are pretty hard. So that's pretty much one and done. But if someone's asking how to start a podcast, you're like, okay, well, minimum viable path is uh, download Anchor, come up with a name. Start talking. Record your first episode. Yeah. Publish. Oh, you want to figure out what to say? Okay, I have an answer for you. <laughs> you know, that's right. the next most likely question. What do I say? You know, that's how I might anticipate it next in order to get, try to get it. But I, sometimes it's like, well, do you do that on the same page? Do you do that in a lead magnet? Do you follow up with a video? Like where you put that on the website is not clear, but I, this is some of the ideas I've had as far as trying to get people to stay a little bit longer. Yeah. Right. Well, the, the, Good news is, is you can run split tests on these things, right? Like there's part of me that wants to go to um, an Outbrain or Taboola or one of those companies and be like, I have this big corpus of content. Instead of me like fumbling through some sort of custom designed or out of the box in Webflow or WordPress or whatever the hell it is that most B2B SaaS companies seem to use these days, like you guys have perfected being able to like show people different, you know, related content units to get them to continue to, you know, consume stuff. There's part of me that wants to call one of them up and be like, here's all of our blogs. Here's all of our ultimate guide resources. Here's all of our video. Here's, here's all the stuff. Like help me recirculate users and get them into, I don't want, you know, I don't want to see ads for, you know, 25 tips to get rid of belly fat or whatever, but like, can we do something to, use some of the technology that you guys have perfected over the years to pull people back through and recirculate. I think there's a opportunity there because a lot of times, you know, what we do is, is we've, you know, we've got a related content block on our, our site. That's a little more, I'd say designed that's, that's sort of hand curated, but then there's also like Yoast suggestions that we've, you know, productized a little bit. We use, we use WordPress on capacity. Use Yoast suggestions on things. But that's not the same as like really driving clicks and engagement. So, you know, whether you want to serve your CTAs inside of some sort of split test mechanism, right? That's a good one. But I think like the related content pieces and the recirculation piece is a big one here for, for high traffic, deep content B2B brands is something that I think we need to start seeing more of. What are you finding works best? There's so many ways to do it. Links in the blog post, Jerry boxes, mm-hmm. yeah, pop-ups, yep. scroll-ups at the bottom on the side. Yeah, sticky bars, pop-ups. We, on capacity, we have, as a part of our product portfolio, 
like the sort of entry point for people and users of capacity is our, is our chatbot and our AI chat. So I've ran tests using our sort of own chat that after you get to a certain depth of consumption or screen time of experiment, a bunch of different things, the chat will sort of engage you say, hey, I see you're interested in this. Would you like to learn more about XYZ? That definitely has, has been really helpful. I am in the middle of a split test methodology change. So I don't have as much of that running now as I did a few months ago. So if anyone's going to capacity, like, well, Justin, where's this magic pop-up you're talking about? It'll be there shortly. I just yeah, I need to reconfigure some things in the back end. But I think to get to the heart of your question, like you have very little time to make an impact and catch someone's attention. So I think the ultimate attention grabber is a good related content unit that incorporates either good design or, you know, good brand art or whatever. So it stands out from the content you're reading and then like lists a compelling offer. So in your titles, right, like your title, don't be afraid to title something maybe a little more enticing than it's sort of permanent title. Like, you know, a good example of this would be like, we don't get in this business as much, so I'm going to kind of pick on someone else here. But let's say you have like a, a, a template for, I don't know, a one to, one-on-one meeting template or something, one-on-one meeting guide. You know, just calling it like one-on-one meeting template, that's just going to sort of not land. So don't be afraid to, again, take a page from some publishers and lean into just a little bit of clickbait methodology there to just to spice that thing up a little bit. And you know, coupled with some good creative with the brand art image, whatever it is, and then get really creative with your titles. Uh, uh, related content modules work really well. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'll go to the clickbait stuff, but then I almost have to reverse engineer <laughs> to actually deliver on said clickbait, right? So you don't want to like make a really intriguing title for a one-on-one template that makes it promises the world and they get there and it's literally just the most boring template. You, you probably could have predicted if you sat down and thought about it for 60 seconds. Yeah. Well, so sat down and thought about it. I'm glad you said that. Glad you said that. So this gets to one of my like favorite tips to give people when it comes from a co- to a copywriting perspective. There's really two. I think there's two, you know, two laws of copywriting I really like. One, and this is called different things, but the sort of, you know, one leads to two, right? Your first line of copy needs to get people to read the second line of copy, which needs to get them to read the third line of copy and so on and so forth. The second one, which is something I picked up from Jonah Peretti at BuzzFeed, he said this once, at least I'm pretty sure it's him. I I might need a factcheck.org myself on this, but the idea is, actually might have been Upworthy, the the team that founded Upworthy, if you remember them. If you have a headline for a story, write 25 variations of it. That's a lot. Like, you're going to go on a a personal journey trying to come up with 25 different headlines to to a piece. Like the first three are going to be pretty easy. The next seven are just going to be total shit. And then you're going to get into this like questioning your own existence sort of thing in, in variations 11 through 14. And then you're going to hit your stride on the last six or whatever, or last six or nine or 10 or whatever. And I'm not saying do that for every single piece, but do that enough and like really just like get yourself into the appreciation of the work of just sharpening the blade on headline and creative. I think a lot of times we don't necessarily like, either you're really naturally talented at it. And I do believe there are people that are very naturally talented at copywriting, or you just have to really work your ass off for it. 
almost all of us just have to work our asses off for it, especially when you're sort of dealing with something, you know, from people on video, scare quotes, boring as um, B2B content, which B2B does not have to be boring. Let's be very, 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 very clear there. But like, you do have to fight through that. You do have to fight through that sort of stigma, if you will. But yeah, it's, it's really about like putting the work in and just treating it like a craft and you will find nuggets. And then over that, over time, you'll, you'll build a playbook of tricks and just ideas. You'll be able to, you know, when you start split testing things, you're going to get a lot better at it. And it, and it doesn't just have to be in your related, you know, you've got like the email nurture you send. Every good marketing automation lets you split test headlines, right? You should be split testing all your headlines. Like just do it and make sure the feedback loop between, you know, email marketing team and your sort of content team and however you have your business lined up, just make sure there's a good feedback loop on the sharing of those creative ideas. That's good. Is there anything I need to explore before we wrap up this conversation on owned media? Anything I left on the table? No, for me, one of my favorite things to do is try to consume as much media as I can while pretending to be as to the best of my ability, the people that I'm trying to market to. So like if you're in a particular line of business, find the Slack group that all your customers hang on and go there. If there's a job board that posts a lot of roles for the people you're you know selling into, marketing roles or support roles or whatever it is, there's always these, always a niche job board for them. Go read the job, go like explore job listings on those things. Find out who the thought leaders are and just consume everything that, and just really sort of try to understand what it's like to be the person you're trying to market to and the amount of content they consume around what they're trying to do. Because you'll notice a few things, right? And this is also admittedly something capacity needs to get better about. But let's take, I don't know, let's take marketing, for example. There's a lot of really good go on Instagram, Facebook, you know, to some degree LinkedIn, but mostly outside of those two, Reddit. You know, you see the good memes and jokes and just fun stuff that marketers share with each other. Like you need to incorporate that into the type of content you're producing for your audience. Not everything has to be like two brand spec. The blue better be the hex code of the blue that we use for our logo that, you know, our voice does not allow us to, you, you got to kind of get past some of that if you really want to build an audience because go look at a good LinkedIn or Facebook page of a, of a brand that does this really well. And you'll see that, you know, nine times out of 10, they're just trying to have a conversation with people and, you know, they'll share memes with shitty resolution because it's, you, there's not a better picture of, you know, Kermit drinking the tea or whatever. And the other 10% are, hey, come to our webinar. You know what I mean? So like, just spend some time in the shoes of your customer. And everyone says that, but specifically spend some time in the shoes of your customer consuming the content that they consume. You know, it's funny. I don't hear a lot of people say that. Actually go and listen to the things they're, like read the things they're reading, go listen to the podcast they're listening to, go watch the social channels they're watching. The only person I've heard say that recently is Ethan Butte, who's actually just doing it because he's targeting a new kind of a niche. He's he's niching down into targeting like a service a service class of like mm. financial specialists, real estate agents, insurance brokers, like those kinds of people. And therefore, he's listening. He told me he's like, I'm listening to no podcasts, but the podcast that they listen to. Smart. 
for a whole year as an experiment. I'm like, huh, never would have thought of that. <laughs> I don't know if, you know, the, the duality of a, of a marketer, there's this sort of like Justin that likes marketing and, you know, has to wear his capacity hat from nine to five and just always sorts of has the pressure of being a marketing thought leader as an executive at a tech company versus Justin who likes to play video games, play guitar his whole life and likes dumb jokes about, you know, movies or whatever. Like, I don't know if I'd be able to give up my For sure. It's like entire- an extreme version of it, but you should at least be taking on something. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Be getting their head, right? That's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. Well, Justin, thank you so much for joining me on the Attention Podcast. Where can people go to learn more about you and Capacity Online? Yeah. I am on LinkedIn, Justin Schmidt, Twitter, and just about every other social network you could ever imagine at, at JTron9K. I make an effort to reserve that username every opportunity I get. Capacity, capacity.com, at Capacity AI on Twitter. Great places. Fantastic. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Dan. All right. Here's what caught my attention in this interview. First, you got to hear a small snippet of a conversation I have with marketers all the time. They're just not normally recorded. And it's about the growing trend of B2B companies becoming media companies. So it's kind of reassuring that this show is kind of on the right path, yet there's still so much to learn. So many more interviews to have, so many more people to talk to, insights, things things to try and implement and fail <laughs> in the growing of the audience of this own show. So here's some of the nuggets I actually took away from the interview. One, B2B companies really need to stop trying to get so much out of a single piece of content. Yes, you should splinter it and turn it into lots of other pieces of content, but I'm talking about trying to make one piece of content the whole marketing funnel. Stop making advertorials, right? Actually make content that just gets enough attention for itself. Maybe gets them to read the whole thing. Maybe gets them to watch the whole video, read the whole LinkedIn post, engage with it. Stop trying to make content that also walks people through the sales process. Not that you don't make sales content. Sales enablement's a good thing. You should make that content. But for getting attention and gaining the kind of attention you need to grow an audience, let the content do its work in itself. Let the content just help people, educate people. Otherwise, you will be at the mercy of the company's who outgave you later on. So learn how to give give, and give and give and give some more. Gain their trust. And every once in a while, you can make an ask or advertise your own company or products in the media space that you're creating. But it comes with a lot of giving. Something to think about.